Tonight I will be reading from Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Again, that's Genesis 6, verses 5 through 8. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Three of the most misunderstood words in the religious world today are grace, faith, and works. Grace, faith, and works. It's strange to me that there are so many differing opinions about these three words and their relationship to one another and how all of these words fit into the whole and how they all uh, come together. You're going to find in a lot of religious discussions in a lot of different places that people will say, what do you do in order to be saved? And they will say, well, you just got to accept the grace of God. There's nothing that you do to earn it. There's nothing that you do to merit it. You just accept the grace of God and God will save you. And I would say yes to a point. <laughs> there are some people that will say the only thing that's going to save you is faith. Faith alone saves. It's strange to me because the only place in the Bible where that's used for those two words, faith alone, in the same verse is in James chapter 2 where it says man is not saved by faith alone. And yet some people will say it's just faith alone. That's all you have to do. What you're going to almost universally find is people that say, listen, works are just right out. There is nothing that you do to receive that. There's nothing that you do to earn that. There's nothing that you do. And so there's no works that go into your part in the plan of God. I hope it is that you realize that this evening we're going to be looking at one of those children's stories that hopefully is known to most all of us who have grown up in the church. If we talk about the flood, and I could have our young people repeat Genesis 6 and 7, I want you to understand this this evening, that you can go to this example uh, here in Genesis chapter 6 and 7 and talk about all three of these and their part in man's salvation when you talk about grace, faith, and works. And I hope it is, young people, there's going to come a time where maybe you're having religious discussion with somebody at school or maybe a friend of yours that maybe doesn't have the same belief about grace, faith, and works about these things. These things that we talk about this evening may be something that you would want to write in the front cover of your Bible or to talk about them in terms of how they relate to one another from Genesis chapter 6 and 7 in the life of Noah. Because there's going to come a time where you're going to have a discussion like that. Adults, the same thing goes for us as, as well. Maybe you've got that office co-worker that looks at it and says, you know what, I've received God's grace. I didn't do anything to earn it. I didn't do anything to merit it. I didn't do anything to receive it. It just came to me, and I accepted it. Well, how do you talk to a person like that? What you do is you maybe take them out of the situation and show them an example of how grace, faith, and works are working together towards one's salvation. We are looking at the account of Noah this evening from Genesis chapter 6. And I want you to understand this at the very beginning, folks. 
Salvation and the ark are inextricably linked. They are inseparably linked. You cannot divide salvation from the ark and still have salvation. We know, again, the, we hopefully have, have, have grown up knowing the story about Noah and the ark, about how it was that God looked out over humanity and saw that there was wickedness all around, and he was sorry in his heart that he had made man. And he looked down and he said, here's Noah, here's a righteous man, here's one that I'm going to bestow grace upon. And as we look at these things together, I want you to understand several things about this account as we talk about grace, faith, and works. Number one, I want you to see the sin all around. The sin all around. Beginning of verse 1, mankind, mankind began to multiply on the earth. Verse 2 is somewhat of a quandary because... Some scholars or scholars are not sure what to make of this. We're not sure what to make of this necessarily. Here's the sons of God, and they see daughters of men who were beautiful, and they took them to themselves wives, and themselves of all those whom they chose. And there are a lot of people that will look at these and say, well, from this race came the Anakim, or the, uh, the Nephilim, the, the giants. And so it is, as here's angels that are maybe leaving heaven and wanting to come down and to marry the, the daughters of men. I don't necessarily fall under that belief system. I know some good faithful brethren that do, but for one particular reason, Matthew chapter 22 and verse 30, and you may write that out as a margin verse beside verse 2, Matthew 22 and verse 30. As Jesus talks to those Sadducees, he says, don't you know that when uh, the people pass on from this life, he says they become like the angels who neither marry nor are given in marriage. What my personal belief is, is we're talking about the line of Seth and the line of Cain. You've got the line of Seth through whom this, this seed promise is going to come, through whom Christ is going to come. Here are men who are calling on the name of the Lord. You can see that phrase there in chapter 4 and verse, uh, uh, verse 26. But here's these men who from the line of Seth begin to worship God as he prescribes. But then you have everybody else of the line of, 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 uh, of Cain who are going through and are multiplying in wickedness. And now some of these men over here are looking and seeing the daughters of these wicked men and saying, you know, we'd like to, we'd like to marry them. And we'd like to, uh, to, to uh, have children with them. And so you don't miss the grief of God. Regardless of who these people were, I don't want you to understand, God is looking at this and they're not considering God and his thoughts about whether or not they should marry these daughters of men. Instead, they married them of all the, who they chose. You jump down to verse 5 in the passage and it says, The wickedness of man was great, so much so that every intent of the thought of his heart was on evil continually. And the Bible says God regretted. God was sorry. God sorrowed. That he had made man. You look at an account like this and realize the judgment that God is going to bring upon mankind shortly. And there's a lot of people, myself included, who have a hard time with this because we look at that and say, how could God wipe out an entire generation, an entire world full of people and only save one family? But folks, we don't think about it from God's perspective. Here are people who are bent on doing their own will. Here are people who have turned completely away from God and his will. What's left for them except for judgment by God? We don't look at sin the way that we ought to, and we don't look at it as serious, serious business worthy of death. And we just think about sin some just as little white lies or, or something casual that we can just pass over. God can't do that in his holiness. And so as God looks down and sees mankind who have completely turned away from his will, he says, I'm going to destroy mankind. 
It would be horrible if it were just left there. It would be horrible if God said, I'm going to wipe out all humanity, all mankind, because they're wicked. The Bible says, beginning of verse 6, but Noah, but Noah, brothers and sisters, please don't miss this application as we move past this point. Your sin, my sin, is going to be something that breaks God's heart. Your sin, my sin, is going to be something that God looks at and says, this is a sin worthy of judgment. We look at this and we see that sin is going to destroy a world. We can look around and we can see evidence of sin working in our own world today, can't we? We can see the attitudes and the people of, uh, who don't care anything about God and his will. And as it is, the world continuing to grow more evil, you're going to find that sin is going to be one of those things that's going to doom people to destruction. It's not that God wanted to. It's the fact that God in his righteousness had to. But as God looks, we see the grace of God bestowed upon Noah. God purposed and planned to destroy the earth by water and wipe out the wickedness of mankind. It was a grief of mine to God. In verse 7, he says, I'll destroy man whom I've created, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Circle that word there in chapter 6, grace. That is actually the first time that it is used in the entire Bible. The word grace is used right here in Genesis chapter 6, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was a man who was just. He was perfect in his generation. There was a corruption of mankind where they filled the earth with violence and corruption and, and they had corrupted everything that God had created very good at the end of Genesis chapter 1. But now it is. You have the story of redemption. You have the story of grace. And you have a man who finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. When we ask for a definition of grace, we have kind of the stock answer, right? It's unmerited favor. It's getting that which you don't deserve. God looks down, he sees a righteous man, he sees his family, he sees Noah. And he wanted to save Noah and his family, partially because it is. God made a promise back in Genesis chapter 3, that through the seed of woman, through the seed of woman, he would bring about one who would crush the head of the serpent. And so God, in enacting this plan, bestows grace upon Noah. But please don't miss this point. Grace, from the very first time it's used in the Bible, it is connected to knowledge. It is connected to command. It is connected to something that somebody has to do in order to receive that grace. Realize this, folks. God doesn't look at mankind and immediately shower an ignorant man with grace. But rather what you're going to find somewhere in the context of the word grace, there is some kind of command or some kind of example or some kind of knowledge that man needs to have in order to receive that grace. It's not just something that God showers on an ignorant man. So, looking at this, we see the faith of Noah, verses 14 and 15. Noah heard the command, verse 8 to verse 13, God, uh, Noah found favor, grace in the eyes of the Lord, verse 8. This was, uh, as he moves on past the genealogy, verse 13. God said to Noah, here's the knowledge. The end of all flesh has come near me, or come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I'll destroy with them with the earth. Make yourself 
an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms inside the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits by 50 cubits and its height 30 cubits. You'll make a window for the ark. You'll finish it to the cubit above, from above. And you shall set a door, a door on the ark of the side. Um, Set a door of the ark outside. You should make it with a lower and second and third deck. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy the heaven uh, from all flesh, which is on the breath of life. Everything which is on the earth shall die. Noah, you've received grace. Based upon that, here's what you need to do. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and Noah had to do something. Noah had to build this ark. God didn't snap his fingers and immediately have the ark appear in front of him. No, God said, Noah, this is what I want you to do. You begin to build this massive, barge-like structure. There's a command. There's a cause. God's going to destroy it. There's a command. Noah, make yourself an ark. As he clarifies the command, God says, of gopher wood, Noah, you make the ark with rooms, inside and out with pitch. Noah, verse 15, this is how you shall make. Link 300 with 50, height 30. Make a window, finish it, make a door on its side, three decks, lower, second, third. Chapter 7, he's going to go into what goes in the ark. Verses 2 and 3, Noah, get seven clean animals, get two unclean animals. Verse 22 is very, very important. Verse 22 of chapter 6, it says what? It says, Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Brothers and sisters, that's faith. And that's a man demonstrating his faith by his works. There's a man who heard the command of God and said, I'm going to do this. I have found grace in the eyes of God. I hear the command. I will respond accordingly. Brothers and sisters, Noah didn't stray from the command. Noah didn't move beyond that. He didn't say, you know, I know the Lord said gopher wood, but maybe I ought to use cherry or maple or ash or something like that. Maybe I ought to use balsa wood. Anybody ever made a boat out of balsa wood, right? Uh, maybe uh, Noah didn't say, you know, what would be easier is if instead of having one door on one side, we're going to put uh, one door on this side, one door on that side. Instead of one window, let's have five windows. Noah just did what the Lord commanded. He didn't do any more. He didn't do any less. He didn't rethink the blueprints. The ratio for this was 30 to 5 to 3 of a historical note. Do you know that shipbuilders still use that ratio? This is one of the ships, one of the barges uh, called the uh, uh, Jeremiah O'Brien. He's one of the ugly ducklings, a fleet of liberty ships used in World War II. You know what ratio they used for this seafaring barge that carried massive amounts of supplies across, uh, across the Atlantic Ocean? They used the same ratio, 30 to 5 to 3. How did Noah know to use that if it wasn't that he was inspired or if it wasn't that uh, he, he heard the voice of God? Fifteen animals each. Would that be uh, sufficient for the sign of this? You see, problems come when we begin to try and impose our own will upon what God has said. Problems are going to come when we try and manufacture or add to or take away from what God has said instead of just in faith doing what God said. This is the way God said to do it. This is the way we're going to do it. In fact, you Google and you put Noah's Ark in Google and you search the images. You know what's going to come up? Something like this. And we take this and we paint this on the nursery walls, right? Because it's cute. You got all the animals that are hanging out all the, what? Windows? How many windows were there? Just one. 
You've got this vessel-like structure with all these different animals that are crawling all over it. And, and, you know, again, it makes for a good-looking nursery wall. But, folks, this is the conception that a lot of people have of the way that the ark was. In fact, I don't believe that it was anything more than just a big box. I don't necessarily read that he had to taper the end to make it seafaring. You know why? Because there wasn't anywhere for him to go. It just seems like 30 to 5 to 3 was the ratio, and it wasn't a seafaring vessel. It was just a box in order for salvation to happen for Noah and his family and for those animals that were on it. But again, you see the issue when we begin to try and impose our will on this. Looking at Noah, he received the grace of God that manifested itself in his full, complete, devoted obedience, his godly fear. In fact, if you want a good cross-reference to write, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7 beside this, my faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with a godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Brothers and sisters, godly fear is going to show itself in our lives by simply just wanting to do what God says in the way God says it for the reason God says it. And what you're going to find is the result is that salvation by God. Chapter 6, verse 17, they went in, uh, they went in, they, uh, they went in, as God commanded them. And chapter 7, verses 13 and 16, God shut the door. Chapter 7, verses 24, uh, 21 through 24, everything else died. Everything else that was on the earth that wasn't in the ark perished. The ark is inextricably linked to salvation. It's inseparably linked. In verse 23 of chapter 7, only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. Brothers and sisters, if salvation was only in the ark, it was salvation according to God's grace. The answer is yes. No one had no knowledge about building an ark and making it uh, this certain dimension and putting all the animals on it if it hadn't been for God saying, this is what you need to do. This is why I'm going to, this is the way that I'm going to preserve your life. Noah, you have a part in this. You need to build this ark question was salvation dependent upon Noah's faith being active in that salvation was grace absolutely necessary and the answer is yes was Noah's faith absolutely necessary and the answer is yes how did his faith show itself it showed itself in him building the ark there's the conjunction of grace faith and works God gives man that which he would have had no other way to receive. That is that salvation. Man looking and saying, I'm going to do exactly what God says in order to receive that salvation. Nothing more, nothing less. That's grace, that's faith, and it comes together beautifully in the salvation of God. Noah had responsibilities. If he had not fully obeyed completely, humbly, it would have been an abuse of that grace that God had given him. It would have been something that put his salvation in jeopardy. Brothers and sisters, I want you to realize the ark is a type. It's a type. In fact, if you look at the word type, it's really like looking in a mirror. And I look into a mirror and I see that reflection of me. And I say, that's not me. That's a reflection of me. The way that God has placed the ark, it's a type. It's a reflection of the real deal. You know what the real deal is? It's the church. It's the church. It's being in Christ. It's being part of the body of Christ. It's part of being the kingdom of Christ. All of those things are interchangeably used in the New Testament where grace and faith and works are going to come together. 
The ark is not just something that we have to paint on the church walls of a nursery. It's something that we can look and see the pattern of grace, faith, and works in the lives of ones who would be God's people, who would have salvation. This is the antitype in the church. Brothers and sisters, the same way salvation and the ark were inextricably linked, so also the church and salvation are inextricably linked. Some people want to say, you know what? You keep the church to yourself. I'll take Jesus all day long. I'll be a part of Jesus. I'll have a relationship with Jesus, but I don't want any part of the people of God. I don't want any part of the church. I've been burned maybe too many times by too many different churches. I don't want any part of those people. Brothers and sisters, you can't have Jesus without the church. The church is his bride. The church is his body. The church is what he bought and paid for with his own blood on the cross. And looking at the church and seeing how God's grace has been bestowed upon us who are covered with the blood of Jesus, us who have been added to his church, Acts 2, 2 verse 42, Acts 2 verse 47, we who are part of that, brothers and sisters, we're part of the ark that Christ built. It's the ark that Christ built. Salvation and the church are inextricably linked. There's no way to separate one from the other. Two passages in your New Testament that illustrate this beautifully. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. You see how this is not just a children's story? First command that we have God speaking was, don't touch that tree. You leave the tree of knowledge of good and evil alone. When we find God making a command the next time to Noah, he's saying, build for yourself an ark. There's salvation, there's grace that's needed. But as we talk about the church in Ephesians, because that's what's magnifying is the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the body with his church. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22. Note what he says down in verse 8 through 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And people look at this and they say, by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. What's the faith that God gives? God gives us faith so that it is that we can receive that grace, therefore we don't have to do anything. See, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. Please understand what he's saying in this passage may be clarified by understanding this. Grace is the subject there in verse 8. Look at it this way. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that grace is not of yourself. The same way as Noah was, uh, was ignorant of God's grace. The way that Noah would have had no other way of knowing what God had wanted to do if God hadn't said, there's a person that I'm going to bestow grace upon. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that grace is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. It's not of works of merit. Was there anything that Noah had done to earn God's salvation? Was there anything that Noah had done to show himself, look, God, I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. You owe me to be on that ark. You owe me that salvation that, uh, that, that it is that you're going to save me. There wasn't any work of merit that Noah had done. He was simply a man that simply followed God, took God at his word, and did what God said. It's not of works of merit, lest any man should boast, any man should stand before God and say, God, look what you owe me. He said, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works of obedience. 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What Noah did was he did those works of obedience because he had received the message of grace. Noah let his faith show by doing exactly what God commanded him to do, by being obedient. It wasn't anything he earned. It wasn't anything that he merited. It was just that. It was being obedient because of the grace he received. Brothers and sisters, when we do just what God said and the way God said it for the reason God said it, we are following in the path and the footsteps of Noah in receiving God's grace faithfully. Look at the second passage in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Verse 11 through 14. For the grace of God. Now, wait a minute. My mind is already reeling and I'm thinking, okay, here's grace. What am I looking for? I'm looking for some kind of knowledge about what it is that I'm supposed to do or I'm what it is I'm supposed to be. Grace is not showered upon an ignorant man just willy-nilly. But grace is connected to knowledge. Look at this. For the grace of God that brings salvation, sounds like Noah doesn't, has been revealed to all men, speaking of Jesus Christ, teaching us. There's the knowledge aspect of grace, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself uh, for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. Not of merit. I haven't earned anything receiving the grace of God. But what it is, is I live every single day trying to be obedient to what Christ has told me. Grace, faith, and works. They are all important. They are all linked. We can access today God's grace from his plan all the way back from Genesis chapter 3. In fact, the plan that he had foreordained before the foundation of the world, before the world was ever spoken into existence. Now here, we have the salvation from sin. We have salvation from God's wrath. We don't have to perish with the wicked. And we don't have to undo that because God provided an ark for us. God provided an ark by which we can choose to be saved in Christ. Salvation is in Christ. Just because we say that we have a relationship with God or we've received that grace doesn't necessarily mean that we have. The question is, have we been obedient to what God has said? Looking at these two pictures, whose ark was it? Let me say it was Noah's ark. Whose ark was it really? It was God's ark. Noah built it. He got on it, but it was really God's. He saved Noah through it. Noah would have never had been the wiser if God hadn't revealed that to him. He didn't earn his salvation. It wasn't his idea. He simply obeyed. When we talk about the church, whose church is it? It's Christ's church. I didn't do anything to earn it. I didn't do anything to merit it. I didn't do anything that I could stand and say, God, you owe me salvation because of all these good works that I've done. It is the holy bride of Christ, the one that he purposed to purchase with his own blood, the one that he purposed to build all the way back from Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. On this rock, I will build my church and that gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. That's in Christ. That's in the church. That's in his body. In the church, the ark of God's salvation, saving from sin and from death, God himself built it. The only way to save, be saved, 
the only way to get in the church, get in the ark, is through Christ, through obedience to the gospel. Well, wait a minute. Grace is connected to knowledge and invariably connected to command. What has God told us to get into the body, get into the church? You know what? We could talk about five steps of salvation. Do you realize there's only one of those steps, one of those five that teaches you how to get into Christ? Get into the ark if we're using this imagery. I can talk about faith. And I could say, yes, absolutely, I've got to have a saving faith. I've got to have more than just a mental assent, but a desire to want to do God's will. I've got to have that faith. I've got to have a confession of Christ. And that confession is going to lead me to say that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that that confession is going to be important because I'm going to name him as my Savior, yes. But that's not going to put me into the church. That's not going to put me into the ark. I can talk about repentance. Yes, absolutely, repentance is necessary. Yes, absolutely, I've got to turn from an old life of sin and resolve to live God's way in order to have that salvation. And yes, that's going to bring me nearer to Christ. There's only one participle given in the New Testament that tells you how to get into Christ. Faith leads you nearer to Christ. Belief leads you near to Christ. Confession leads you near to Christ. Repentance leads you near to Christ. But we are baptized into Christ. Galatians 3.27 We are put into Christ. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 Know you not as many of you as have been baptized into Christ. Christ is the door, and the way that we get into his body is through baptism. It's not something that's an outward sign of an inward grace. That's an addition. That's somebody trying to add an extra window onto God's plan. It's not something that's not unimportant. Yeah, yeah, if you're a real believer, you know it's like a wedding ring where it just symbolizes something. That's not what God says it is. God says it's something that puts you into Him, that puts you into His Son, that puts you into the ark, the church. Brothers and sisters, for anybody to teach anything else is blasphemy against God's plan. It's something that they're teaching and they're offering a false hope to somebody that says, yeah, you're fine, you're on the ark, everything's good, when they haven't entered the door. Brothers and sisters, every single day we encounter religious people that are sincere, absolutely. But sincere people can be wrong. What we've got to do is understand the grace of God is that brings salvation, yes, has been revealed to all men. But what we've got to realize is just like Noah, we've got to show a saving faith by looking at the command of God and saying, I just want to do that. I don't want to do any more. I don't want to do any less. And if I do more, if I do less, I haven't respected God and his word. Do you need to do that this evening? Do you need the salvation that only comes through Jesus Christ? It is that you can have the salvation this very evening. It is that through your faith in Christ, through your obedience to the gospel and realizing that this grace is available to you, you can act in your faith and you can be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins this very evening, added to the church and have that salvation that we've been talking about all along. Brothers and sisters, there is no salvation outside of the church. And one day when God sends Christ back, there's going to be no more chances. The same way as when God closed that door of that ark. Noah didn't close that door. God did. God closed that door. And as the rain began to fall and as the great fountains of the deep began to open up, 
You can imagine the cries from the outside of the people that wished they had made their lives right. Is that you this evening? Do you need to make your life right? We invite you to do so as we stand and sing our invitation song.